uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to try something, okay? I'm going to try a joke. And you all know how bad I am at telling jokes. Don't you all know that? Okay, but will you all humor me with just one? I heard this joke, and it was given by a preacher, uh, Junior Hill. And, uh, and they say that these are good, like, little icebreakers and stuff. So here's the joke, and it went something like this. There was this couple that had been married for, like, 50 years. And they were at a point in their life that uh, they didn't like each other at all. And everybody knew it. And um, so... Um, the man passes away, goes to heaven. Now, these things are not theologically correct, so you understand that. He, he goes to heaven, and he meets St. Peter at the gate, and he says, can I enter? And he says, well, he said, you've got to know the password. And this guy, just fear just ran all over him. He was like, uh, the pastor, he said, listen, it's easy. He said, it's easy that you'll get this one. He said, you just have to know the password and how to spell it. And he says, or at least how to spell the password. See, I've already messed it up. You need to know how to spell the password. He said, well, what's the password? He said, the password is grace. And the guy said, well, yeah, it's easy, G-R-A-C. He said, well, come on in. So St. Peter gets busy at the table, and he says, hey, can you kind of man the table while I'm taking care of some things here in, you know, in, the, in the back in here? And he says, sure. Well, about that time on earth, his wife passed away. And she comes to the pearly gates, and guess who's sitting at the table? Her husband. And he says, well, he, she says, well, can I enter in? He says, well, sure. He said, you just have to, you have to be able to spell the password. And he said, it's easy. You can, she, fear came over her face. She said, well, well, is it hard? She said, well, no. He said, you can pass this. He said, you can. She said, well, well what's the word that I need to spell? He said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> okay. You all laughed. It must have been Okay. That's one you could tell. That's an old one. I think I've heard it a few times. Uh, I want to invite your attention to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I am not Ryan Vanover as listed in the worship folder. Uh, Ryan is much younger, as we all know. Um, I, want, I want to talk this morning about, and for the next couple of weeks, and Ryan may pick on this one, pick this one up next week or somebody, or myself, but... We're t- I'm going to talk about the battle that you're dealing with. Now, you're here this morning, and everybody's come here with, um, with a battle of some sort. You're, you're dealing with some sort of battle. And we, we do deal with battles in the Christian life. It's, it's known, and matter of fact, that you know, it would be nice if somebody would set, had set me down early on in my Christian life and said, Greg, you know, you're going to de- deal with some battles in your, in your own Christian life. Don't know what they are, but you will deal with some battles. There will be some things that you will deal with. And there is a battle that there's all kinds of just battles that you will deal with in life. John Bunyan wrote about it in Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote it as a Christian allegory. And... Um, he talks about Pilgrim, who is making his way, who is fleeing 
the city of destruction. And remember, this is an allegory. And making his way to celestial, um, to the celestial kingdom. And he said that that outside the wicket gate was the gate to the to the uh, on the king's highway to the celestial city. There was Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. He's one of Satan's companions, one of his archangels. He had erected a fort near the gate. And the whole purpose was that he would fire his darts and he would fire, uh, fire, fire his arrows at those who were trying to make entrance into celestial city. It's an allegory of the Christian life and the Christian struggle. And, and Pilgrim meets all kinds of different people along the way, some that try to lure him off the path, others that, you know, discouragement, all kinds of things that you deal with in the Christian life as a Christian pilgrim. We don't use that language much. We don't take pilgrimages. But there is nothing that aptly describes the, the, the struggle that believers would have in dealing with battles in life and dealing with things in life than, than what we would call um, than, than what we would call the pilgrimage. And so along the way you're going to you're going to deal with stuff. And and how do you deal with it? How do you deal with the trials that come in your life and the battles that come? How do you deal with the temptations that come along with the trials? Because invariably, oftentimes, they go hand in hand. You're dealing with a battle, and all of a sudden now you have temptation in your life. So there is a physical battle that you deal with. It could be physical. It could be in your body. It could be financial. It could be relationally, in relationships. And... And then there is the internal dialogue and the internal struggle and the internal spiritual battle that is going on. So what I want to challenge you to think of this morning is, yes, you may be dealing with something on a physical level or an emotional level or in a, in a real, and you can define it. But have you considered the underlying spiritual implications and the underlying spiritual battle that you are waging within your mind and your heart. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, nobody told me that when I first came to Christ at the age of 15, I entered a relationship with Him, but nobody ever told me that I was already and automatically enlisted in the in the service of the Lord. It was like that I was enlisted. I was an enlisted young man at the age of 15. Not in physical, uh, not in a physical army, but enlisted in, um, in God. And recognized at that moment in time, I recognized that the day after I got saved, with all this battle that was going on in my mind that, hey, I was in a warfare. 
And it was my dad who was there as we were fishing together. And I was pacing back and forth on this riverbank because we used to, that's the way we fished. And he would catch and I would walk. And, uh, and I was pacing back. He looked at me and he said, son, are you all right? And I, I never will forget. I said, I think I am. I said, you know, Papa, I came to Christ last night. I said, but I'm having all these doubts that what I that that me trusting Christ that it just wasn't real that it that that you know the, the forgiveness thing is just not the you know that you know did I make a fool of myself that was what was going on in my mind and he just kind of looked at me he said well son and just kind of nonchalantly he said don't you know and I said well know what he said he he said you're in a battle he said you know, you did belong to your. You did belong to Satan, but now you have entered the kingdom of God, and you have a new father, and you're in a battle. And I went, oh, and just like one of those old Gomer Pyle episodes, it was like Shazam. And I was like, that's what it is. Yeah. He, he said, you know, you didn't have anything to worry about when, when you were, you know, in darkness. You, you didn't, he, but now you're in the light and you, you have a battle. You have an enemy. That is an enemy to your soul. And I'm like, whoa. And I realized that day forward, I got saved. And I can, some people can't give the day and the time. I can, I remember the day and the night that I got, the night that I came to Christ I went fishing the Monday morning, July the 27th. It was on July the 27th that I realized that I was enlisted. And I'm just so thankful that, that, that my dad was there to tell me that you're in a battle. I, would, I got discouraged and said, yeah, that's for somebody else. The battle is real. And the battle that you're dealing with is a real battle. Don't you wish that somebody would come along and just say, welcome to the Christian life. You've entered a relationship with Christ and now you're enlisted into a spiritual battle. Yes, welcome. And here's you a t-shirt. So we don't often talk about the battle because we're in a culture that either focuses on Satan and most people don't do that anymore. Most people just say, yeah, we're not sure that we even believe in the reality of a, of a personal evil. But the Bible is very clear about it. Very clear about the existence of a personal evil in the name of Satan, Lucifer, etc. And I'm not here to focus on him. But I am here to focus on how you deal with the battle. So I want us to look in, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look at this. Can, can you imagine Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Well, if Apostle Paul wrote something, it would have sounded something like this. If he were writing to new Christians, and you were to go back all throughout the book of Ephesians, if he were writing to the, to the Ephesian believers, the new converts in Christ, he would, says, he would say something like this. He, he would say, Welcome to the Christian life, all those who have entered a relationship with Christ. You have been chosen. Holy, 
blameless, predestined, adopted as child of God. You are redeemed by Christ's blood, forgiven. You are spiritually rich with grace from a loving Father who has given you a promising future and a secure inheritance and sealed it by depositing His Spirit in your life. You have all fullness in Christ who is above all and in all and in you all. You see, I remember what He saved you from. For you were bound by the prince and the power of the air and a child of wrath on the road to destruction. But he rescued you and he seated you in a heavenly place and you became a citizen of heaven. Now you have peace with God as a holy temple growing together and I pray you are strengthened in love and filled with the fullness of God as you grow together as one. Welcome to the Christian life. And you think, (laughs) welcome? Here I'm still experiencing fear, guilt, inadequacy, and you recognize that that relationship that you entered into has now enlisted you in, a, in the battle. And so what does he say? He says, welcome to the invisible war within. You're in a battle, and welcome to the Christian life. And so he says a final word in Ephesians chapter 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. King James, or New King James would say, and the power of his might. Put on the armor, put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, of the devil. And then he goes on to say, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. It's interesting that he puts this scripture at the end of the book. Because he takes three chapters in, in, in Paul's typical fashion of writing, he takes three chapters to describe who you are in Christ. And that every victory has already been won in your behalf. Do you know that you're fighting a battle, but the victory has already been won? Now, you, you kind of wrap your mind around that for just a minute. Wrap the mind, your mind around this battle that you're in the fray of right now in your mind, your emotions, your will... And and all the things that you're dealing with, you're dealing with a battle that has already been won. It has already been settled. It has already been won. And Christ declares that you are a victor. You're not a victim, but a victor. And you are more than a conqueror through him who has loved you and gave himself for you. So you're you're loved beyond imagination. So notice here, there's two things in this that I want you to see as we look at this message this morning. The big idea is the battles are won by being strong in and standing against. They're won by being strong in. Now, have, how many times have you said, I've got to be strong? How many? I can do better than that. I've got to be strong. 
right? I've got to be strong. You, and when you say that, you recognize usually how weak you are. Every time that I've said that I've got to be strong, I recognize my utter weakness. Matter of fact, there's been times in, in my own life and in, in my life that I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm just not fit for this. I am not equipped for this. That is partially true. There's a partial truth to that. So the battle that you're dealing with and you quote the scripture, the Lord's not going to let us, you know, he's not going to put you through more than you can handle. Sometimes, quite frankly, I'm thinking, okay, God, you've got, the, you've got the, the amount of equity wrong in this. You know, my truck is running over with burdens. And I can't handle them. You will face things in your life that you think that you cannot handle. The load is bigger than you. It's more complex than you. There's more layers to it than you can put your head, your head around or that you can grasp. There are things that you cannot and can never fix. There are things, and so you say, well, I, if I can't fix it, then how can I manage it? How can I control it in some way? There's things in the battle, in the midst of the battle, that, that reminds you that you are inadequate and maybe it rises feelings of inferiority and inadequacies and in uncertainty and insecurity. And then that's just one layer. And then there's another layer of fear and guilt. Well, I ought to be better than this. I ought to do better than this. Surely I can make it through this. And then you say, well, a good Christian ought to be able to, do, be able to, to, to make it through this. I have got to be strong. What about, what happens if you're weak? Could it be that God wants us to come to the very end of our resources of what we can figure out? in our own human ingenuity, and say, glory to me, and exchange our weakness for strength. Now think, think along with me through this. What I'm saying is, is this. Could it be that God is saying, okay, you bring your inadequacy, all the things that you, that you recognize that are pertinent to your weakness. And you lay them down and cast your burden to the Lord. And then you, as you yield to Him, you begin to operate not in yourself, but in the strength of Christ. So this is why Paul's just saying, not just to be strong. <laughs> no. Paul recognized this. As a matter of fact, all the things that Paul counted as strength in his life... He said, you know what? It is useless. He looked at his pedigree. He looked at all the things that would declare him as being righteous. And he declared that he was not all that. What if you say, now I know this is, you know, modern culture say, no, you, you kind of you get you some applause and I am all that. Yeah, 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 I am. The biblical way is, no, I'm not, but he is. I'm weak, he is strong. And that old song says, Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'm weak, 
He is strong. Being strong in the Lord, but, you know, Paul didn't stop there. He says, just don't be strong in the Lord. Now, you, you begin to dissect this verse. You know who the Lord is? The Lord here, and this word, Lord, is, is the idea that he's the sovereign one. In other words, everything that you're dealing with has been sifted through his sovereignty. It's been sifted through the providential hand and the providential care of God. In other words, you're not forgotten and you're not alone and you're not, he's not unaware of it. And as you sit back and fret over things, as I often do sometimes, I have to go back to my theology of what I believe to be true about God. And he is indeed the sovereign Lord who knows all, who has all power, who's omniscient and is all-knowing, he's omnipotent in all power, and he's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere. So in the circumstance that you think has been God-forsaken, God is there. He's there in his presence. He's not far away from you. You say, but I don't feel it in my experience. Well, don't trust your feelings. But trust your theology. If it's right and biblical, go to God's word and get into the truth of his word and and say, okay, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In his mighty power, be strong in the Lord. So there's three things that that this scripture tells us to to do, and we're going to look at it in just a minute, but I want you to look in... And if, if you've got uh, a scripture with you, a copy, I want you to look at, and, and this is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, he says, We not walk, we, for we walk in the flesh. In other words, you deal with stuff in the body. We are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, it's not, it's not a fleshly battle that you're dealing with. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Stop there. Those are fortresses that Satan would build in your life from your childhood right on up to now. Stronghold fortresses that says that 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 remind you of of how bad you are, how messed up, how how uh, how you're not in control, and you're you're feeling it comes with fears and it comes with guilt and it comes with all kinds of other a panoply of emotions that Satan builds up in your life. You so that's why you need that that's why you need that 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 crutch that you that you that you lean on. And that crutch may be some sort of uh, you know it could be anything. It could be anything. You say, well I I I need this in my life and you rationalize in your mind why? Because you rationalize in your mind Because Satan pulls you away from the truth of his word. And all of a sudden there's one layer of, one more layer of a brick and a stronghold in your life. And and it leads to addictions. It leads to people turning to all kinds of illicit things. So all of a sudden a trial in your life has turned into a temptation and Satan is building a big fortress wall to keep you, to keep you from entering into a, a growing Christ-like relationship. Why? Because he 
flames, he points his, his arrow out and he flames at your heart. And he attacks your mind. Now that is common in the Christian life, by the way. Because you sit back and you think, nobody else struggles with that. Nobody else deals with that. Nobody else has those. Nobody else does this. Nobody else has the problems that I have. All problems that I have. And Satan wants you isolated and alone to think that you and it's you and you alone. And God has abandoned you and maybe even rejected you. And it is a lie from hell. Hear me. It is a lie from hell. It is a lie. So what do you do? You, you see, the enemy wants you to think that he's bigger, badder, and, and got more in control. Because, you know, you've got a daily, you've got a na- daily news feed. Or you have a daily, and you see all the stuff going on in our world around us. And then you recognize that there's an internal struggle within you and your emotions, in your choices, in what you think. What if you gave your mind to truth and gave your heart to Jesus? What would happen? What would happen? You see, the, the enemy wants nothing more than than to destroy your life. He wants to turn you back to the city of destruction as a child of wrath. But Paul's reminded us in chapter 1, no, you've been chosen, you've been predestined, you've been adopted, and you have an inheritance, and God has placed His Spirit in you and sealed you by the power of His Spirit that He claims you as His own. You mean the God of heaven? Yes, the Lord God Almighty claims you who have trusted in Christ. He claims you. And he knows about the battle. And all he simply wants to do is you to trust him. So notice here, he said, we destroy every lofty arguments that are raised in your mind. I would call these rationalizations that we rationalize in our mind. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought, every thought, every emotion, every choice is is raised to the standard of truth and knowledge of God. And he brings every every thought to the captivity of Christ where the ultimate freedom lies. So all of a sudden, the truth begins to tear down the strongholds in your life. And you begin to walk in new victory in in a new way. You say, well, I didn't realize. Yeah, be strong in the Lord, he says, and in the power of his might. Don't you know that days are evil? Yes, they are. But I've been given not a child of darkness, but a child of light. And my kingdom is the kingdom of light. Have you made that affirmation in your heart that you're trusting in the king of the kingdom and you bring it all down to his lordship? And you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so in my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified today. Even in the struggle and the conflict, even in the battle, you have a Savior, oh, my friend. You have a Savior who is strong and fights in your behalf. So you stand against three things here that you see. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the armor of God. We'll look at that one next week. And stand against the schemes of the evil one. Stand against them. In other words, stand. Just stand. Notice here, he says that the, the schemes of the evil one, he's crafty. He's crafty. Your inner enemy has a strategy to defeat you, to discourage you, to leave you feeling like there's no hope and you're in despair. He, ha- he, he desires nothing more than to rob God's glory, which he cannot do, and rob you from the best. He comes to kill, steal, and to destroy your testimony, your witness, your joy, your peace of mind, and the power and reality of what Christ wants to do in in growing you in Him. You have an enemy. And He he has a scheme. And and the the Scripture here says that this scheme is, is highly organized. There's principalities and powers, rulers, in in the darkness. It's interesting that that Satan operates in the realm of darkness. We think of just the name of Satan, the schemes. He's cunning, clever. John MacArthur says that schemes is all-inclusive. It involves immorality. It involves false teaching, everything everything, uh, that Satan is behind. To tempt, to distract, to pull away from the glory of God in your life. So he's known as, as Satan. He's cunning. Lies in ambush. He's an accuser of the brethren. He accuses you before God. He says, this is one of your children. Look at their attitude. Look at what they just did. Look at what they thought. And then he accuses God before you. A God like that loves you? Why, you're the only one in the world dealing with that. So he's the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his schemes. That's one of his tricks. He, he does this by trickery. Did he not in, in the garden? Come to Adam and Eve and says, Did not God say you couldn't eat of any? He, he misuses God's word. This is the real deal. This is why you really need to be grounded in truth and grounded in Scripture. And I want to tell you something. This takes more than, than just coming and sitting and listening to a sermon on Sunday morning. If that's the extent of your spiritual life, I want to tell you, my friend, when it comes to standing against the wiles of the devil, you've already lost out. It's more than hearing a sermon. It's more than hearing a sermon. It is, it is getting in God's Word. And it's when you deal with stuff in your life, you say, what does God have to say about it? And you get in and open His Word. And we'll look at this next week. And you get into the truth of that. And you say, what's the foundation that I can stand on? You know, what's the truth? How, what is the truth from God's point of view? You've heard all the opinions. 
And everybody has their own quote-unquote truth today. But what does God say about it? I see, we, we are never, I don't, I'm not sure that we, could, we, we are thoroughly convinced that God is, is so holy and righteous and yet so loving and filled with grace and mercy. So stand against. He says, stand against. He says, draw near to God. James says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Flee from the devil and guess what? Sometimes the best thing you can do is run as fast as you can, especially when temptation comes along. Run. Don't entertain it. Don't rationalize it. Don't get, listen, don't get in a conversation, an argument with the devil. He will win. You go to the Word and run and flee. Hallelujah. You run and you flee. And allow God to say, okay, God, I am feeling, I, you, know, you know, I'm feeling all this. I'm feeling all that. But you go and you say, God, here it is. I'm giving to you and I'm bringing myself into captivity. Every thought into captivity of Christ who is my liberator. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God and stand against the schemes of the evil one. So there's sin and shame and fear and worry and defeat and trials and discouragement and temptation. And the Bible says that your victory is already been won. Welcome to the Christian life. Your sin is forgiven and the victory has been won. Satan is defeated. He's defeated. He is your foe. But he's defeated. What happened on the cross was monumental. What happened on the cross, what happened on the cross is, is that your sin was forgiven. You have been covered by the blood, so there's a covering over you. And God declares you righteous through his son Christ. All, all who have trusted in Him. And so it's on the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus carried, carried His cross and He was carrying our sin up to lonely Golgotha. And there He cried out in the middle of the day as, as the sun refused to shine. He cries out, my God, my God. He felt forsaken. He says, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God came down on God the Son because there was a penalty for sin that was being paid, but there was a victory being won. And Satan said, well, I've got him now. <laughs> he just thought that. He's dead, and he died literally, physically, bodily. But in the spiritual realm, he was alive and, his, and, and he was at the mercy seat of God. And there was a sprinkling of blood on the altar of God for your sins. The power and reality of what Jesus did on that cross. And, and what a paradox it is indeed that the Son of God, the Son of Man would come and give himself 
And if that's it, that was the end of the story, we'd say, well, he just died a martyr. He believed in it. But there's something that I can't get past. And there was something that the disciples couldn't get past. And there was something that changed their life radically. And, and it was the fact, yes, that he died and he accepted them even after they denied him. But it was the very fact that he was alive. And they touched him and they saw him. And there was a power in his resurrection. So he conquered, he conquered, he conquered sin. And the power of sin was broken for those who come to the cross. The power of sin is broken and say, Lord, I'm weak in my, in my own flesh, in my own sinfulness. And he said, that's all right. I carried it for you. Cast all your care on the Lord, for he cares for you. The power and reality of the cross is, is the power and reality of, of not only there's this, the penalty of sin being paid and, the, and, and our brokenness. He was broken. God, the Son, was broken for our brokenness. And then they placed him in the tomb. A real tomb. The living Savior conquered death in the grave. Now, I don't know if there's any amount of self-help that can match that. And then Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. (laughs) But what? Yes. You see... God in his love did something for you that you could not do for yourself. And so your cross gets heavy and the pilgrimage gets long and you have to battle a lot of things in your life. But there is, there is, there is a conquering Savior who is the Lamb of God. The Bible tells that there's going to be a final conflict one day. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's in the book of Revelation. Here's the, bat- here's the scenario of the battle. Armies from the east and the west, and uh, they, gather in, they gather around this valley to begin a fight. And all of a sudden, as they begin this fight, there is a conquering lamb who comes down from above. And he's coming with people who have made their robes white and washed in the blood of this lamb. And he comes to make war against evil, against all of it. He's, He's doing it. And he comes down and he steps out and he's got all of his vast armies of heaven behind him. And guess who's doing fighting? Who's doing the fighting? Jesus. Jesus. And you know what he says? This is not like something you'd see on TV. By his spoken word, the armies just go. Dwight Pentecost, who's a professor of... um, uh, probably retired now, maybe even with the Lord at Dallas Theological said, I think, I don't know what he's going to say, but he may say something like drop dead. 
And I'm like, well, we don't know. But here's the deal. We don't fight. He does. He does. Now, I don't know your battle this morning, but we're going to have communion here in just a second. I don't know why you need strength. God does. I don't know what your struggle is. Don't need to. He does. You have a shepherd of your soul, my friend. A shepherd. He walks with us and talks with us. He tells us that we are his own. He comes to us in our darkness with light and life. I don't know the strength that you need for your battle, but I do know this. There is a strong and mighty Savior who's got you covered. He does. Sometimes I, you need just reminded of that. and Sometimes you need to lay some burdens down to Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ, today would be a great day to say, you know what, I, I need to embrace Him as my Lord and Savior of my life, as a Savior of my life. I'm trying to, to make myself good enough for God to accept me. And it just doesn't happen. It's not there. But it happens as you trust in Christ. If you ever trusted Christ to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sin and to make you his child, have you? You're dealing with the battles of life all on your own without him. You can know today that your heart has been saved by simply trusting in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to face battles. You will. But it does mean that the battle for your soul has been, has been given to a higher power. It's been given to Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, you are indeed the good shepherd. You know your sheep, Lord. They hear your voice. Stranger, they will not follow. Father, I pray and ask that you would minister. Meet them at the deepest point of their need with the power and presence of the Savior. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're sufficient and you are indeed the Lord. Give us faith and trust and help even in our unbelief. For Jesus' sake. Amen.